Welcome one, welcome all, welcome to another episode of Fan Team Radio. I am your host, Cheyenne Khan, joined by my co-host, Chris Odi Odorisi. Chris, what's up? Hey, another crazy F1 race this weekend back in Baku City. We had a quite the long break, four weeks, I think it was, but you know, we're back in Street Circus of Azerbaijan. Uh, going over a little stats for the track, you know, lap length. Uh, 6.0 kilometers, otherwise 3.73 miles. For the American listeners, we had 51 laps uh, for a total race distance of 190 miles. Um, and yeah, like what a crazy, what a crazy, you know, race back to street circuit. And I'm just glad to be back racing in F1 again. Yeah, you know, the king of the streets, Sergio Perez, made his stamp. Um, so we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more. Um, I know you mentioned uh, talking a little bit about our uh, shift in uh, sprint racing and how that took effect this week. Uh, let's start there, Chris. What uh, what were your thoughts on just the weekend and how the race format, uh, you know, either contributed or did not contribute to a more pleasurable experience? What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean that's the big news, right? Uh, the whole sprint format, like it's. It's either loved or hated by by some, and you know we had a last minute shift to the format from from the previous format where we sort of had qualifying into the sprint race, and then the sprint race would reset qualifying for the race. And so now the sprint race is its own thing; it's completely separate. Um, and they the team sort of agreed on this format change last minute, and I think it was actually just finally approved like days ago, um, which is super weird just in a professional sports setting for them to be changing formats, rules, you know, the way people are going to ultimately strategize their weekend days before the race. But yeah, so. Uh, do you expect any different from the FIA? I do not expect anything different from the FIA. And I'm worried about the continuation of this because we have a lot of backlash from a lot of drivers and team principals. And I'm worried that, we're going to make some huge changes again. Every sprint race is going to be another little tweak, another little this or that. For instance, uh, we talked a little bit about this before uh, we jumped on here, but um, two of the drivers, I believe it was Yuki Snowda and Lando Norris, couldn't physically participate in Q3 of the sprint shootout should they have made it there, which uh, Lando, I believe, did. And so he was unable to run and actually qualify because he was out of softs. Now that is like a little bit of like a, like a team call, a strategy thing. What happens if that happens to more people? Cause obviously teams are going to prioritize Sunday, the actual grand prix, the actual race. So what happens if uh, we have a crazy qualifying session times are close and people are just putting on new sets of softs and everybody runs out. And then we get to Q3 of the sprint shootout and nobody's got tires. It's good. It's like, it, it leads to this incredibly uneventful scenario. On top of that, we had uh, Logan Sargent. Uh, we talked about that as well, who crashed out in the sprint shootout and was unable to participate. All this stuff is just completely anticlimactic. It makes it for like a, a really confusing weekend overall. Um, and uh, another point to that is that because we had qualifying on Friday and then this entire day of independent racing on Saturday, it almost just felt too segregated from qualifying to the race where you almost forgot what happened. There wasn't a good flow to the story. And you just sort of felt almost uninterested in going into the Grand Prix, at least from my perspective, because we got a preview of what 
turn one and the race is going to look like from the sprint race. We got a preview that, you know, Leclerc's pace wasn't going to be there and all that kind of stuff. So overall, I just sort of feel like the sprint race weekend format, the old one and the new one just isn't there yet. And um, I'm actually not sure what to do about it. So what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think I resonated a lot with what you say. I just don't get the point still. If I understood the point of the sprint race, other than trying to get more eyeballs on races and get more advertising dollars, it, it there's really no tangible reason to be having this race. Uh, you know, like we discussed last time, uh, this is really going to affect heavy handedly the lesser endowed teams like the Williams, the Alfa Romeos, Alfa Torres, because like Logan Sargent couldn't even participate in um, in the sprint race because he crashed out. And, you know, luckily this wasn't a situation where both him and Albon did crash out, but what would be the ramifications if they did? And would they have enough turnaround time to bring it all back on Sunday for the, for the race? Um, it's just something to think about, right? You know, we saw how it impacted Logan and I'm, you know, I can't say for sure that the results of the sprint, um race had effect on sunday for williams but they didn't finish too hot uh which is kind of in stark difference to the first two uh uh races of the season where they they were showing some great pace and they were showing um consistency so i'm going to use them as just a benchmark to to kind of look ahead uh, and see if other back of the pack teams are going to be affected by specifically sprint race weekends. Um, you know, Christian Horner even mentioned that this isn't something that he particularly likes. Uh, and, you know, he was met with criticisms about, you know, when you're at the top, of course, you don't want to change things around, which there, there there's credence to that. But I also do think, you know, if it's coming from his point of view uh, in saying that this isn't something that he can fully get behind but then it's also coming from uh other teams that are at the back of the pack you know i don't really know who this is servicing um i've listened to a couple of uh podcasts this past week about f1 from from all different uh all different types of uh creators and and, and channels and trying to think of alternatives right to this uh to this uh idea of a sprint race and having it meet whatever it is that the FIA wants it to do, but also giving some sort of uh, reason and rhyme to, to to the madness, right? And one thing that was really interesting is potentially putting the backup drivers, the D3s, into cars and letting them run at for 15 laps. You know, it'll just be 10 of them, um, and they can get super license points, uh but by doing, you know, these sprint races in lieu of D1s and D2s, who we're going to see for qualifying and for the Grand Prix anyways, right? This way, we get some exposure, or the D3s get exposure to us, we get exposure to them, we see how well they're pacing, um, you know, in terms of race pace, in terms of their mature maturity, in terms of who's going to be on the grid in the upcoming years, you know, seeing Danny Ricardo out there again, that's going to bring eyeballs to the, to, to the race. There's a reason uh, for, for them to sandwich it into this format, you know, and it gives 
real, you know, not the real drivers, they're all real drivers, but it gives D1 and D2s some sort of respite between the qualifying and race day. And, and what you had mentioned about it feeling like a completely different segregated thing, maybe wouldn't feel that way if there's a point to it. Maybe if in the, the you know, on the Saturday or so, you know, that, that sprint day is the D3s driving, we get to see what the car is performing like. We get to see, you know, if there is any kind of uh, uh, internal competition that's happening that we don't get exposure to, right? So so why not, you know, kind of run with that or, 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 or do something that's not this is what right. I'm trying to say. Um, uh, yeah, I'm just still not convinced that the, that the format change makes the weekend any more exciting. I think it, it actually does the, the opposite. Yeah. I mean, uh, I like that idea. I still think it has the same inherent issues that we're presented with this budget cap, the cost cap, um, and just the smaller teams in general, like a team like Haas, uh, AlphaTauri, maybe Alfa Romeo, like these teams that are strapped for, for finances, because, if you have if you have a new car like you're like let's say like you know mclaren they brought a bunch of upgrades this weekend which you we could talk more about because ultimately i don't think that they performed better than expected but um yeah like if you have teams like that putting their d3s in these cars and they're bringing upgrades for the weekend and then they're putting them into the wall because they don't have that experience and they take the car out and then all of a sudden you have the the main drivers complaining about having the car having to get rebuilt because the D3 crashed it, you know, in the sprint race and whatnot. I just think it poses a lot of complications. And, but- and I and I I understand that, but the alternative, which is the what the world is living in right now, is if there's an upgrade to a car and there's two cars out there, the the chances of one of those cars getting hurt and and damaged is still the same, right? Like, you know, I don't think these D3s are 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 not good drivers you know i think that there's one less of those cars that will be on the track it'll just be 10 d3 drivers one for each team and then this way they can get more super you know license points or you can bring in someone you know it'll just be one car on track right so i think the the chances of two cars getting damaged is much higher when there are two cars on the track by my minimal understanding of of, of <laughs> probability uh, but having one car in there at the hands of someone who is an app driver they're just probably not the best because might not even be due to merit you know uh this way we can see if people like nick devries is meant to get a d1 or a d2 spot as opposed to you know seeing him on a flash and then and then just putting the entire next season uh, you know, kind of on his shoulders, uh, right. and then you know, it'll prevent like Mr. Nutella from from getting into into these kinds of races as well. So, so I I understand where you're coming from, and, and it is something that I thought about uh, when when I listen to these podcasts. Like, hey, what are the repercussions of having something like this? But I think the repercussions here are vastly vastly less than what's going on right now. Yeah, um, I, I I can see that as well. I definitely think that that it would be an interesting the timing of it. Would it would have to be really thought about, like whether you do it on the Friday, because Saturday is more of the prime watching day and just the viewership draw. Um, because then, like, I, yeah, I I don't understand the 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 sandwiching qualifying and you know the sprint race in between qualifying and and uh, and race day. I really don't understand the. Also, the, 
But yeah. speaking on that, like I don't, I really dislike the fact that they were in park for me uh, post qualifying on Friday. Cause I feel like one of the big advantages that was presented here. Um, and one of the ideas I actually had before this was even presented was having something like that sprint race where somebody gets the taste of a race and then they can say, we screwed up the setup for race pace. So let's redo it for the grand prix. So I felt like almost like the sprint needed to be on the Friday, let them sort of figure out, Hey, what was our car doing in the race? Do we need to run a lower downforce ring? Do we need to change the whole setup? How was the balance on a high fuel load and all that stuff? Other things that they got to, to sort of determine in a practice situation. Now, the only difference in practice is you're not getting the traffic. You're not getting like dirty air in front of you all the time. So it's a really good simulation for what is the setup like in the race. But these guys are in park for me starting Friday and qualifying. So if you get the setup wrong, you're wrong for quality, you're wrong for the sprint race, you're wrong for the race. And it just doesn't make any sense to have all these different iterations of racing without getting to adjust and watch people improve over the weekend, which is the whole reason why we have three practice sessions is to like try to get your car in optimal racing condition. And now that that's gone, I just felt like not only was the timing of everything wrong, but there was no benefits to it. And it was just almost all downside except having one extra spectacle to watch. But ultimately, as you just mentioned, I felt like it kind of just took away from it. Yeah, I, I I think we're in agreement there in terms of this is not the the format uh, that is going to bring the most excitement uh, to Grand Prix weekends. Um, if anything, I think you know, and and this is left to be seen because this is our first race weekend under these under this new format. Um, as we move forward in the season, as we get into you know after a race twelve, going into the twenties, you know. What does this look like? Not just for you know uh, the low hanging teams, kind of like you know Williams and and Haas, but how is this? How are the top tier teams like Red Bull and McLaren? I'm sorry, and, and Mercedes and Ferrari and, and Aston Martin. How are they responding to this? Because if both ends of the candle are screaming the same messaging, then you have your answer, right? Right. Uh, yeah, I just don't like. I I don't understand. Like, I know we only have a couple of these weekends. I think. I don't remember how many are there's either five or six throughout the year, but ultimately um, I don't. And also I believe that's a problem too. I, I think in any professional sports, you just need to have parity across the entire season. Like it needs to be the same. You need to have the same structure for every weekend. Like we, I think we talked about this before. It's like not like pro football or baseball or they're like this weekend, we're playing with a different size ball and, you know, just like figure it out on the fly. Like I think it needs to be standardized. We either need to have sprint races every weekend or not at all. And it sounds like everybody participating in the sport wants not at all. Um, the other potential solution that I saw brought up that could potentially be interesting, but I think a lot of teams would still fight back on it, is having no sprint shootout and having all the sprint races be reverse grids. So, like, you take Max, he's in P20, and, you know, whoever's in, in last, <laughs> Botas or... I'm actually exactly sure who's last in the points at the moment, but uh, you know, and have them be on pole. And then you have this like crazy race where it gives the back markers a chance to fight for small amounts of points. And if Max wants to win, they get to drive through the field and, uh, and sort of prove their worth again in that way. 
ultimately I would see. Yeah. I, I think that would be super entertaining as well. Right. There's a point to it. It's right. like, Hey, you know, we can already see what's going to happen on grand prix weekend when, you know, the best cars are up in the front. Let's just see what happens if you're, if you're qualified that, you know, as the front runners and then we just reverse it all. And then, you know, you have to get to the front now. So I think th there is an entertainment value to that. There's also a point to that, you know, like it's, it's setting us up to see these these cars and these uh, racers in, in just a different, through a different scope uh, while keeping everything, the, the racetrack, everything all, all the same. Um, I think that that also ha that has a point to it. You know, it's just this has no point to it yeah totally agree. it's it's just it's 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 hard to get along board with um but let's uh let's let's pivot a little bit here so um mercedes had a couple of change-ups in their leadership this past week james allison is back as the technical director uh with mike elliott situating into his former cto role um james allison of course he you know he mentioned earlier this week on another podcast that he had taken some time off due to some personal reasons and taken some uh, taking a step back from the technical director role uh given that it is a really high stress role it is really a day-to-day hands-on you're really in the trenches uh you know he he took some time off to to kind of after seven championship seasons uh can't really knock the knock them in for doing that but now he's back in um, you know, uh, uh, George Russell, Lewis Hamilton are both on board with this. Um, obviously, straight line speed is, is a weak point for Mercedes. Um, you could tell today Lewis just wasn't able to get past Carlos Sainz for the longest. Uh, whereas I, I feel like, you know, if it was a, a car from 2020, uh, that could have been an easy overtake for Lewis, right? Uh, so, so, you know, I say all that to, to kind of say, you know, I, I wanted to, as, as, a, as a newer F1 fan, I don't really know yet what the changes look like on a team once a change in leadership happens, right? I know what we just had the, you know, uh, Matias leaving and, and Freddie Vassar coming in and we're starting to see the effects of change in leadership. Uh, so now, you know, Mercedes is near and dear to myself. Uh, I'm curious to see what this, uh, you know, change back in leadership how long those changes are going to take effect uh on the racetrack when when is a car going to get faster uh you know are we going to see tangible like you know uh differences in in performance uh week over week from both drivers as as the as the season progresses so i'm using this as a benchmark uh to to kind of get you know get myself more educated on on what a an expected timeline for change looks like uh, you know, Aston Martin did it within a year and a half after getting Mike Crack. So I'm really having my fingers crossed that something like this can have uh, positive effects over the course of 2023. Not saying that they go and, and win the Constructors' Cup or anything like that, but at least going to 2024, having some pro progression that that we can actually, you know, uh, um, uh, as Mercedes fan, take take into take into our hearts and and really you know, ha have that optimism for next year, which I, I honestly didn't have going into this season. So what are your thoughts on Mercedes? Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, there's probably so much that goes on behind the scenes that we don't, we're not attuned to, we don't get exposure to, even through a lens like Drive to Survive, uh, because I'm sure that there was a little bit of, let's say, morale shift 
within Mercedes going from being a seven-time constructors championship and, you know, Lewis dominating the sport uh, with a great number two in Valtteri for so long. There was just that stability forever um, to all of a sudden that sort of falling off, just like their side pods, right? <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's one of those things that when you're used to being a top organization and then you have some changes you, you kind of like start stumbling a little bit and don't really know how to pick up the pieces. So I'm curious if, uh, you know, James coming back was sort of, uh, you know, a forced maneuver either by Toto or other internal parties, stakeholders to basically say like, let's get back to parity and let's at least, you know, start on the upward trajectory and let's put the team back as much as the way we had it before, get things going in the right direction, and then we can make changes again if need to. Or the thought crossed my mind, like, maybe Lewis is like, hey, you want me to stay? Like, I I need a car to start progressing. I need to see the fact that we can actually put a car that can perform. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of me being here? Because ultimately, he's there to win his eighth championship. He doesn't care about you know, getting second or third anymore and things like that. He has his, he has his wealth. He wants his legacy. So it's like, I'm curious um, to see, like you, you mentioned the timeline of these things, because if you look at something like, this is going to complete tangential here, but if you look at something like when Steve Jobs died uh, from Apple, like he had a pipeline of five years of products that were going to like come out that were under his leadership F1 is a completely different ballgame in which the regulations change every year. So, like, we knew when that Apple had that shift that, like, at that four-year mark, we were going to see a vastly different change. And I feel like that kind of happened. But we don't know what next year's regulations ultimately would be. Now, we know the bigger shift happens in 26, but it's just one of those things that they can't necessarily pre-plan every year. Um, And so you need that leadership actively working on the car at all times. Like, you'll see... Um, different team principals take time away from races to go back to headquarters and just focus and focus and focus on the car design. So I think that's ultimately what they did is like they thought they fixed the problem at the end of last year when they had that that performance boost in Brazil um, and at the end of the year. And that's why they kept that direction of the W14. And I think they figured out that, like you said before, they made a mistake. And so I think they want to try to get their brain power back to where they were to try to really uh, get next year's car back on par with competing for wins again. So, yeah, I'm curious how long that's going to take. And my guess is that this year is going to be almost a wash and we're going to see a completely different Mercedes next year. Yeah, that I mean, I hope it's not a total wash. I hope, you know, there are progression uh, throughout the, the course of the year and maybe some reasonable uh, podiums. Um, but I think it is worth noting the the difference in roles of a CTO and a technical director, you know, and and the the skills that which is not to say that you know uh, Mike Elliott is not a, a, a capable you know technical director. It's just that the role of a CTO is kind of overarching across all technical aspects of the organization, whereas a technical director is focused on getting that car as fast and as stable as possible um and 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 kind of orchestrating the engineering team around it and the you know and the design team and working with um with Lewis and with George uh you know to to get it to that point so i'm 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 really excited to see uh shades of that i think another thing uh i wanted to mention um and kind of just 
um, piggybacking off of what you said it, about the leadership changes. I think it speaks to Mercedes as an organization and the culture there a little bit more, right? I don't think it was, and this is me speculating, I think just based on the kind of culture that they have there, the stress and when they started seeing the seams kind of exposed, I don't think it was just uh, Toto who was feeling the the pressure, right? I think everyone, James, uh, Mike, the drivers all included in other parts of the leadership, I think they all feel the pain at once. I think because Toto is a much more empathetic leader and it, you know, all of F1 is a, is a top-down culture, right? I think like the, 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 by virtue of that, they probably all collectively came together and was made the decision that this is the best move to make. It will bring on the most impactful changes in the least amount of time taking us in the right direction you know coaching changes happen all the time in the nba and the nfl because of it uh general manager changes in the mlb are becoming much more popular to where they're adopting much more younger gms whereas before it was just you know the old heads that were were taking over the, the these really high profile positions and, and i think you can start seeing that in, in, in f1 as well i think um uh just seeing Franz Toast like leave AlphaTauri on his own accords, I think that might have been more of a forced departure, you know, just by given the the culture around Red Bull and 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 how it is a little bit more cutthroat. You know, I I, I wouldn't be surprised if Franz was kind of more or less asked to leave so they can restructure under a new regime. Uh, whereas I think Mercedes, because they are a much more empathetic organization and they do think about uh, accountability in more of a group mentality sense. I think James, Lewis, you know, Mike, all these guys came together and were like, hey, this is going to be the right decision for us to 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 to, to get going as fast as possible. Um, and, and, and hey, if Lewis says something to the effect of, I need a new racing car that works, get it done. I think he's shown enough uh, patience over the past two years to, to be able to demand that he definitely has the resume to, you know, and, and he's done it in a way, unlike uh, our dear uh, Fernando Alonso, he hasn't burned the scorched the earth doing it. You know, I, I, honestly, I'm super impressed with Lewis's demeanor over the last, uh, you know, a few months, like obviously at the end of last year, he, he was miserable. Like you, you remember that image of him getting out of the car with his back hurting and it was just sort of super dejecting um, for him just realizing the car that he in was a shitbox and it was never going to perform for him. But, um, and, and ultimately, and there was, I guess that disagreement that, that came through that like Lewis wanted to change the direction of the car. Um, and that ultimately didn't happen, but his demeanor, his professionalism, his, his sort of, uh, you know, championship candor to him that he, that he goes around with, like he's, he's there was, he posted a, an Instagram, of him just like working late again at the paddock, like it was like 11 or midnight or something. And he's still in the paddock, like going over, you know, lines and data and, and other things he can do to improve. And, um, and he knows that he's not going to be winning races at the moment. Um, but his focus and mindset is on how do we keep continuing to improve? And I think he knows that he's in there for the long game to get, to get that eighth championship or to get back to a winning car. So I, I'm just like other, I could see if Max being in the same situation 
uh, kind of being a hothead about it. Um, and so I'm super impressed with where Lewis is at the moment. And honestly, you know, I'm rooting for Mercedes. Um, as much as I love, you know, Red Bull and the whole aura around that team, I want to see competition. I want to see Mercedes back up at the top. I want to see Ferrari competing for races as well. Aston Martin, like, could you imagine if we had four cars just constantly passing back and forth for the lead and was all about strategy and tires and, you know, degradation and managing like versus just pure power and DRS. So I'm rooting for and them. And the peace of mind that the FIA is not going to pull a random flag and arbitrarily dictate the outcome of a race. Yeah, yeah, you know, the things that foundational that that professional sports, you know, make their money on the foundation yeah. of, of of being a good sport. Exactly. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I have high hopes for Mercedes. Um, you know, I, I, I by no means do I think, you know, this year they're going to make leaps and strides into into Constructors Cup. But they have, you know, a solid concept for a car that doesn't break down on them, at least it's stable. Um, it, it has it does not have the straight line speed. And that was, you know, on showcase today, even against Ferrari. Um, and, and th there is work to be done, of course, but at least now the arrow set in a right direction. Um, and it's the first time in, in, in over a year now that I have some, uh, you know, some sort of peace of mind that, that, that they're going in the right direction. So I'm very excited for them. Uh, let's talk about some some uh, some people that I'm not too excited about, but I was earlier. Uh, Alpine, um, very disappointing start to the season for Alpine. Uh, this is a, a team that you know a lot of us were expecting to be fighting for fourth and consistently fighting for fourth uh, with a driver lineup that you know maybe not be stellar, but it is, it is a competitive lineup. And Otmar uh, and his kind of lore around the team uh, from Drive to Survive and off season, um, you know, it was making to become, you know, it, was, it had all the makings of 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 a comeback kid story. Uh, but they've consistently underperformed, uh, and, and they've been somewhat under the radar, just kind of given all the FIA kerfuffles and 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 everything around. Um, you know, Fernando and, and Taylor Swift, uh, you know, they're kind of flying <laughs> under the radar here. Yeah. But but let's bring them back on the radar. Chris, what do you think about Alpine season? Do you think it's salvageable? Do you think, you know, I know that you were also um, on the train of, of folks who thought that they were going to have a pretty, pretty good season this year. What, what is your thoughts been around uh, Alpine? Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to tell. Like Alpine has had uh, a shaky start to the season uh, and I feel like Gasly's had a couple of instances of bad luck uh, just kind of uh, not being able to perform to his best and you know also with Esteban today they sort of gambled on the whole safety car thing with you know starting on the hard and trying to take it to the end and just you know both the uh, who's the other driver I can't remember Esteban um, and they they basically were going was it was it Nico I forget who I think it was it was Hulkenberg and Ocon where they started on the hards and mm -hmm. uh, they were just waiting for that safety car. Yeah, so they yeah, could yeah. Hulkenberg and, pretty much went the whole race on on yeah, hards, which yeah, turned so, out to not be a good strategy. Well, so I mean, we're racing in Baku, right? Like we have a red flag almost every single year uh, or a safety car. So we're basically they were rolling the dice and saying starting on hards. And then we're going to see how far we can take this. And then under safety car, we'll put on mediums or softs, depending on how far we get. And we'll be able to take that advantage. They so were going to go as long as they could. And so once you got past lap 40 or so, 
they when they're reaching the end of the life of the hearts, they can't pit because if they pit and then the safety car happens, they screwed themselves because they don't get that advantage. So they basically were waiting and waiting and waiting. And then finally, both of them had to pit on, on the very final lap of the race to you know follow regulation. And they never got that advantage. And they just dropped down the order like flies uh, and end up in last. So they gambled and they lost. But, you know, you know, Gasly was right there as well in 14th, Esteban 15th. And, yeah, I just feel like they couldn't ever get their plan together. I feel I, – I, and I actually don't know what's wrong because I thought that the car was decently fast and uh, they definitely have capable drivers. So I'm not exactly sure where the disconnect there is. But they're – you know, if we think back to uh, – Oscar and all the drama that happened when he left, maybe Oscar knew something about the internal dynamics of Alpine. And that's why he was so adamant about not being with them. Maybe there's something behind scenes that uh, was like a huge tell that they're just not going to perform. And you had Fernando leave, (laughs) you know? So, or yeah. So it's like one of those things. It's like, was there something completely wrong with Alpine or is there something that we don't know about? But I, we definitely have high hopes for them, but it definitely seems to be something amiss where they just can't put it together for a weekend. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a team uh, that's uh, no pun intended, but a pit stop for, 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 for real, you know, D one drivers, uh, which is, you know, and this is no shade on Esteban or Pierre Gasly, but you know, these aren't the guys that you think about when you're thinking about, you know, year over year championships or, or fighting for championships. Uh, they're very talented, but if that's going to be your mainstay is, is going to be those kinds of drivers, then, you know, it makes sense that these, you know, someone like Esteban or even someone like Danny, um, they have a pedigree of winning and there are other teams that are probably more appealing. So I think your point about Oscar is really interesting. And I hadn't really thought about that because for him to go to McLaren where there's another dumpster fire kind of just, just happening on, on their own terms. Um, maybe, maybe uh, Alpine's dumpster fire is a little bit more behind the scenes. Uh, so something that that's an interesting point, Chris, uh, I, I, I'm curious to see, and who knows, right? Like, like you said, this might just be too early to tell. Um, I, I do think that, that th- there is some truth to that, that is too early to tell, but based on what pre-season predictions were for this team and kind of what's transpired over the past four races, um, yeah, this, this has just been a pretty disappointing start this season for them. Yeah. I mean, if you have a two-time WDC, and a future potential, you know, next max for Stappen, both choosing to avoid your team. Um, and and like, like you just mentioned, um, you know, you have someone like Danny Rick racing at McLaren um, and you're taking a huge gamble saying like, I want to race on that team because with somebody like Danny Rick and Landon Norris behind the wheel, they were performing poorly all throughout last year. So in order for you to, to take, Alpine out of your equation and want to go race at McLaren, you had to have known something. And it's, you know, Fernando also looks like he knew something because he went to Aston Martin, which they obviously made a huge leap in performance. But just going off the, you know, the statistics from last year, both of those moves were potentially terrible moves. And now they ultimately, at the moment, look to be great moves from both drivers. So maybe there's a lot more behind the scenes that we don't know. But 
um yeah at a certain point i think i think you know those decisions are there's a piece of them was calculated and as much as you can get but then there's a piece where it's you know the pieces fall where they may and yep. and you kind of roll with it um uh, so i think is definitely uh, there's an art and a science to decision making um for drivers that are that talented um i and and i guess going back to a little bit about this is before otmar even this is you know even when cyril was kind of overseeing renault um maybe there is something foundational in just the culture of that team that doesn't exude edginess maybe it doesn't exude like uh that uh winner takes all mentality or the zero sum game that that these top tier teams are are playing in and then uh, a team like uh aston martin is trying to get into and and as you can see lauren stroll is that kind of guy um and he found someone in mike crack who was the right technical and right uh type of uh operational director to to get that team going so i think fernando's been around the block enough to probably have seen that and and known that it was probably a much more uh solid situation for him to walk into than a team like like alpine or or like alpha tori that has a lot of moving pieces seemingly across several years you know um Cool. So uh, let's let's stop bagging on Alpine for a bit. Let's talk mm-hmm. about our winners and losers and, and hot seats. So, Chris, this this week's winners, it, you know, it's, it's it's stacked with your red, uh, red, yellow and blue. Uh, <laughs> who are your winners this this week, Chris? Yeah, my big winner is obviously Sergio. Um, you know, he's king of the streets um, going into this race. It was one of those like he can't do it again. He can't win another street race, especially with Max's domination so far this year and you know he did it um you know even though that he had a little bit of luck with the safety car he was uh he pushed max into the pit essentially he's right up on his gearbox and was lapping a little faster than him which is ultimately why red bull made that decision to throw max into the pits to get him on a new set of tires maybe to undercut him a little bit get a little further ahead on the on this changeover and, you know, he did get a luck, little lucky with that safety car. But when they ended the race, he was almost three and a half, four seconds ahead. He might have passed him on track. And I think he fully deserves the win. And, you know, he gets to keep this name, King of the Streets. And maybe next time there won't be any asterisks at all. No safety cars, just pure merit. But uh, super proud of the guy and super happy for him uh, to continue this streak of wins. And also... I'm just happy that we have a WDC competition, even if it's between the two Red Bull drivers. Uh, I hope to see more back and forth between these guys so that it's not just pure domination to the end. Um, and then my other winner is just Red Bull as a whole. I think this weekend just goes to show it, I, it probably puts so much comfort um, behind the entire team that nobody's going to be able to catch them. I mean, they were lapping a second faster than Charles, and then the other team was just you know, uh, uh, Aston Martin and Mercedes were even further behind Charles. So it's like, who can, who can compete with Red Bull? So I think that they already know they have this constructors in the bag and they're just going to have to, you know, see who's going to put it to the WDC, but otherwise probably super company for them. So I think Red Bull and Sergio are the two big winners here this weekend. How about you? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, Checo is my winner of the week. Um, you know, really nothing that I can say that you haven't already touched on. Uh, I love that he is bringing, you know, the, the, the fight to max. And then that drama in itself, it's something that um, 
you know, I've been seeing yet in my in my past couple of years of watching F1 is the inter-team rivalry to the degree that this can potentially have. You know, obviously Valtteri played uh, uh, the P the the D two position pretty you know uh, unaggressively, um, and and Checo is just not kind of cut from that cloth. Yep. So I definitely definitely uh, makes for a lot of drama. You know, um, I think. Aston Martin uh, is another winner of mine this week. Um, just specifically the durability of that car. Uh, you know, Lance did take it into the wall, you know, every now and again, it wasn't anything too major, but it definitely is, uh, you know, we've seen other cars make those hits and and, and take them completely out of the race. You know, Nick DeVries was spun out. So it is a tough track to keep your car completely healthy and even though you know uh fernando had i think he had a pretty uh uh, uh impeccable race he, he i don't think he his car touched anything but i know lance uh, rattled around a little bit on certain turns and that car stuck with it you know he was able to get i think p7 this uh this week and so 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 hats off to aston martin not just in terms of performance but also durability of that car um and then and hats off to yuki uh after uh, just a really tough sprint uh couple of sprint days and, and and qualifying you know he was able to get into p10 get those points um especially when you kind of see it against what nick did uh you know an underperformance um you know i think it, it's really giving yuki some some grant ground to stand on uh that I, I i i was afraid that he might have lost uh early on in the season um several losers chris so my losers this week I, i'm putting mr charles Leclerc on there it's and not because that he didn't make podium uh he he made podium but today's race was essentially a testament to the fact that he will not be able to catch red bull on pace like it just kind of stapled even if he has uh because a lot of races you could say like oh his powertrain went out the tires like bust like there's something some sort of engine failure something happened and you're like all right maybe he does have pace it's just these other things that that are occurring but today he had a healthy race and he watched both red bulls just pass him by pretty pretty easily on the DR, uh, drs zones um so you know i think i was joking with you earlier chris you know it it must be tough to to be so handsome and so rich and so sad at the same time because when you're broke and ugly you know how to be sad pretty easily so <laughs> Uh, so feel bad for Charles there. And then also McLaren, I think you're going to expand on a little bit more on this. I think we came to an agreement that, uh, the, you know, this was supposed to be the race where they had all their upgrades come in and, and really take effect. And, um, you know, I just didn't really see that in the results today. Yeah. Um, what, what do you, what have you got, Chris? And we were, we were almost duped, um, in, in Friday's quality because, you know, Lando and Oscar put it, I think it was P7 and P10 in quality. And you were almost like, oh, they are on the right track. They're getting in the car right back up there, able to compete. They got good one lap pace. And uh, we thought that I thought that the upgrades were going to work and they just needed to fine tune a little bit. Um, but then the rest of the weekend was just, you know, utter back to same old McLaren. And I really worry, you know, uh, I, I don't think that they're going to have a car capable of competing. I don't know what the future looks like for the team. And I think that next year there's going to be a lot of potential for driver shakeups 
Uh, I know Lando has probably been super frustrated. There was that rumor that like he was punching a wall and um, you know, he does, he's a driver that deserves a good car. Uh, And same thing with Charles and, you know, potentially Carlos, um, you know, we're not able to see the performance, but like you mentioned, like Ferrari's just not going to be able to compete. Uh, I don't think anybody will. So I think everyone's just sort of fighting for third. And um, you know, when it's like that, uh, people are going to be dejected and I don't think it's going to be as competitive. So yeah, I, I think McLaren is a pretty big loser for this weekend. And like you said, Charles, but uh, my other one's going to be signs, not because um, he did anything particularly bad, same as Charles, but uh, I felt like Charles, like in qualifying, was really pushing that car and signs was nowhere near him. Um, and sa- same thing throughout the whole weekend. And when you have, even though the Ferrari is not able to compete for wins, when you, when your teammate is able to put that car and do things to the max and you're not anywhere close, it, it starts to call into question, like, are you, are you deserving of the seat? Are you, uh, I, I believe Sainz belongs in F1. I think he's a very good driver, but I, I just don't think he's of that caliber. It reminds me a lot of Lewis and Valtteri, uh, where he's a good driver. He can win a race. He has the capability of being fast at times, but the consistency to be a dominant driver and compete for WDC is just not there. So I think yeah. this weekend really showed that Sainz, was uh, a very definitive second driver on the team. Uh, and I just, you know, I felt bad for the guy a little bit, but yeah, it just did, he didn't, was not able to keep up. So it also, I guess it comes to, to mind that is a natural talent because these, these, you know, they're human uh, and, and they're probably much more sensitive human beings than, than the rest of Gen Pop. And, and the reason I say that is, is there an argument to be made of a team's incons- or consistent, you know, downcomings or, 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 or shortcomings affecting the mental uh, and natural talents of an F1 driver? Uh, and, and an example I'll probably pose uh, if you take it to extremes, if you put Max Verstappen in uh Let's let's say let's say an Aston Martin because they're not completely you know uh, they're on the up, but Max is a, a gen generational talent driver. You know, if you put him in that Aston Martin and he's only getting P threes, at, at a certain point, is that going to start fucking with his head? Like, is he just going to be kind of like, if I can't win, then then should I start getting experimental? <laughs> can I stick to can I stick to my laurels like like as a driver and what's been helping me throughout the past decade of driving? So I do think about that too. You know what what are the mental implications and and the degradation that can happen when your team is just year over year dropping the ball, and and is it too little too late in terms of getting Freddie Vassar and and a new strategy and new leadership? Uh, for 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 signs especially, uh, but also for Charles to 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 stick around and you know uh, so I think I think your prediction of, of a driver shakeup in the next year is uh, is is a fair assessment. I mean that's the problem uh, with F one, right? You're not there's not enough seats in top teams to go around, and so unfortunately you're going to have guys like Charles and Lando and 
you know, potentially Oscar and things like in any other potentially capable drivers just not being able to be in that card that they need to be in. And like you said, it probably does mess with your head year after year after year, just not being able to perform or extract what you know you can get out of a car. And unfortunately, that's, I think, the biggest problem with F1. But there's nothing you can really do about that. It's a team sport. It's an engineering sport. And, uh, you know, sometimes it, it is sport what it of privilege. is. It's a sport, sport of maximum privilege. Um, one thing I will say, Chris, is, is um, it's funny how just about two years ago, it was hard for certain teams to even find a driver, you know? And then in, a, in the course of two years, now we have, like, we don't have enough places for, for drivers. So, so maybe that, maybe that's just us being like new F1 fans. And that's just kind of how it's been for the longest uh, is this, this, this like tide of talent coming in and out and the necessity of those talent, you know, meeting at right places across the course of, of, of F1 history. Um, I, I do think that, that, that this year, uh, signs really has shown that he is D2. I, I also don't expect that Ferrari after next year will have the same driver lineup. Um, let's 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 get into hot seats and we'll we'll wrap up with some off track uh, off track uh, news. So, um, who do you have on your hot seat this week, Chris? Nick DeVries, get him out, get him out of F1. Yep. He's done. Get him out of yep, here. Yep, 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 <laughs> He's yep, yep. Uh, Nick for me uh, was a flash in the pan. I mean. But don't get me wrong. He's a good driver. Just anybody who's driving F1 besides potentially Mazepin and <clears throat> Gotifi, but deserve to, you know, they're good drivers. They deserve to to be behind the wheel of a car. Now, permanently, who knows? But Nick was in the right place at the right time. You know, he's a Formula E champion, uh, which I know nothing of the sport, so I don't know the comp- the competitive level of the other drivers. And so he had that going for him. And then, you know, got the opportunity at Monza, did well with it, put points on the board first race. And so it was just that, you know, with all the driver shakeup that happened at the beginning of this year, he was in the right place at the right time. And he is just not performing. He's having problem after problem, you know, crashing the car, not performing, not being able to get it. He's spinning a lot, losing control of the car. So I don't know whether, uh, you know, my loose theory that I had today is that the speed of the F1 car is just so much faster than the Formula E car that he loses control from time to time and doesn't know how to handle the speed. Um, but I just I think he's too old to get to that caliber where you need to actually compete in F1. Um, and I, so I, if he, Yuki is constantly doing better than him, and Yuki was a questionable rookie in, in his first two seasons. And I think he's starting to put it together, but Nick should be at that level or better with his experience. And I just think he's on the hot seat. And if he doesn't perform, I think he should go. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think if <clears throat> Afatori takes a look at the Mr. Nutella uh, situation from just a year ago with Williams, it's something to avoid um, is having a driver who is so subpar uh, that they end up costing you a whole season of development. Whereas you can probably get another driver into that seat and really test them out. And, and, you know, with, with Franz Toast leaving and, and uh, I believe uh, Ferrari's uh, I forgot his name, but his, his, their second in command is going to take over the role. 
um, there is going to be an inherent shakeup. I think Yuki's done uh, what he what he can with that car to to show that he is maturing. One, you know, for, for from from his benchmarks earlier as a rookie, and two, uh, you know, uh, giving that consistent performance now. And so they have a D one uh, to a certain effect with with Yuki, and they can fill in that D two position. I don't see Nick DeVries being in F one. Um, past the second half of next year i think they may keep him in car uh throughout the first half of next year but you know and that's being optimistic i i i think more realistically he might even be let go during this offseason but in you know in fear of what happened to williams uh i just don't think you know alpha tori is going to entertain the thought of keeping nick for for a whole nother season you, you heard it here first. Nick is going to be gone in the summer break this year. <laughs> hey, I, I I I put money on it too. Put put Danny uh, Rick in the seat. Uh, yeah, you know let, let's let's that'll be awesome to see. Um, I I'd be interested if, if Danny's in a mental space where he's ready to take that over uh, as Nick leaves. But it is definitely worth. I mean, uh, worth. We we've seen it before with uh, Alpha Tori being the the launch pad to back to Red Bull. So, you know, maybe Christian's like, Danny, take the seat, perform, and we'll see what happens. So it would uh, definitely make for an exciting 2024 grid. Definitely. Um, who else you got on the hot seat, Chris? Um, I, I I didn't want to like Nick was my obvious hot seat, uh, but I did want to give him an honorable mention to the FAA. Uh just because the whole sprint format I feel like is a big fail. Um and for the other reason we're going to talk about in a few minutes here with our off-track topic, but I just feel like the FAA, and I don't want to rag on them too much again just because we've been hot-seating them for a couple of weeks now, but they definitely still rightfully have. So. Yeah, definitely rightfully so, but they have a lot of things to work on. Um, but this whole sprint thing I think was big blunder, and they just keep making small mistakes, including big mistakes, and I – it just really needs to stop. It needs to be the exception, not the rule. So uh, just a little little nod to the FAA. Still have work to do. They're not out of the woods, even close. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there. I guess this week uh, we have a little bit less to blame for them. Uh, but it seems like, yeah, week over week that there's something to 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 harp on, on the FIA about. Uh, I'm going to close out my hot seats with, uh, with Alfa Romeo. Uh, look, I know, I know, Audi's coming in uh, in in the next two years to to you know take the team over and and take them in a new direction. So it almost seems like these guys are all placeholders. You know, Joe and 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 Botas and 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 Valtteri even seems like he's kind of checked out. You know, uh, and we've talked about this before. Great driver, uh, but I think you know it just makes sense that he's you know coming on in age. He's in a team that you know definitely gives him some love, but you know there's just kind of sitting ducks uh hot seating them because you know what happens in the interim between now and when audi takes over uh are there people there that are fighting for their jobs that want to keep them uh are there people there as an organization that know that you know they're going to be leaving uh as, as audi comes in um I, I just really don't know what to do with alfa romero right now they're definitely not fighting uh for, for anything it seems like uh so so yeah 
and this is kind of what happens, right? When you have a sport where the two ends are so polarized, where one end you have Red Bull who are just competing with each other and three seconds ahead of the the next fastest team. And then you have Alfa Romeo that just, you don't really know what to do with them. And I feel bad for those fans, you know, like, like you, you want to be, you want to patron something that pays you back as a fan. And this is, it seems like they're just kind of playing out the clock. Um, and that seems like the culture of that team. So uh, they're on my hot seat. I don't know if they're going to, if anything's going to happen to them other than, you know, them being dissolved completely in the next two years. But, but yeah, something I, I wanted to kind of talk about. A I mean, bit. this is almost personal for me because Valtteri is my favorite driver. Um, he's my favorite person in the entire grid of F1. I, I connect with the guy really well. Um, and I think he's just a great human being overall. And I think he's a capable driver. Um, and I loved watching him compete with Lewis, even though he wasn't on the same caliber. But it's just so hard watching this team. Like, I really wanted to like him. Um, I know Valtteri took his time uh, leaving. Like, the only two seats available were Williams and Alpha. And, like, obviously, I don't think he was going to go back to Williams, given the status of where they were um, with um, Gotifi and and they were just always at the back of the grid. But uh, Al, he said that knowing what he knows with going to Alpha was going to be a good move. So I thought maybe we get a big performance boost, which in Bahrain of this year, it looked like they were going to be able to potentially compete. And now not only are they nowhere, um, but I, I feel like I feel like when Audi takes over, it's going to be a complete reset. Um, I don't think Zoo will be in this Guanyu. Uh, Joe will be in the seat because I feel like they're going to want German drivers and uh, Valtteri's contract will be up at that time. And if he keeps competing like he is, he's not going to get renewed either. And he might not even want to. He's so focused. He has a coffee business, a vodka business. He's talking about buying uh, the track in Finland, uh, the the old racing track. Um, that's like they went and had some financial. I didn't. I didn't realize how rich he was. Yeah, I mean, I think he has some investors coming in with him, but yeah. yeah, he's like he is purely focused on bike racing, making money, and his future after F1. So I think he's can't knock him for that. Yeah, of course. I mean, everyone's got a shelf life in sports, and you have to, yeah. you know, provide and keep. And I think he knows that his days are numbered, and he got his three year deal. So, and I don't think they're going to buy him out of his contract in the year before an Audi takeover, but. I, I I don't think anybody, I mean, Joe might keep his seat in F1 and a different team, but I don't think it'll be at Audi. So I think we're going to see a complete overhaul of the entire team. And I think we're just seeing the ramifications of that. Like people are checked out, people are done. They know a big shift is coming and um, there's just not a lot to progress for. So I think yeah. that's kind of what we're seeing. And it's super unfortunate. Like you said, yeah, I want, <laughs> I want I wear this Red Bull hoodie every week, and I and I told uh, for for those who can't see, but I said I'm going to keep wearing it until Red Bull lose a race. But um, I want to go buy some Alpha gear and sport it and wear it. I just it's so hard to be a fan of that team. I mean, it might appreciate in value uh, as a collector's <laughs> item. Yeah, uh, maybe after the Audi takeover. So so you might be onto something. Yeah. <laughs> um. Cool. So so um. On today's race, uh, Autosport published uh, um, an article talking about uh, the very dangerous scenario that um, that that reporters were put in 
uh, or they put themselves in um, in the last lap of the race when Esteban Ocon came in to pit. Um, uh, like you had mentioned, he was required to pit uh, to run uh, 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 a change into soft tires, which was required. Um, marshals and photographers, uh, they already started marking or making their way to the to the live pit lane, um, which, you know, could have ended up in a treacherous uh, scenario. Very lucky that no one got hurt. Uh, but this is something that what if someone did get hurt, Chris, you know, well, what would that have looked like a car coming in at almost 300 miles an hour, or like 250 miles an hour, you know, uh, people are on different wavelengths in terms of the race change, like the race is done. Uh, if the people that are flooding the, the, the paddock think that the race is done while the race car drivers are thinking that the race is still going, those two lines of thought can only you know end in 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 peril uh and there's not enough time to to kind of react to it luckily esteban ocon uh went hard on his brakes and the reporters had enough room to retract fia spokesperson says that they're they're uh they're looking into this it's highly important for them to get a fix by miami um but but what do you think about this? Is this just another one of those uh, red flags of the sport that that we don't really see this in other sports, Chris? Um, this yeah, this is one of those things completely unacceptable. Um, and unfortunately, this is a situation where the governing body is going to police themselves, and so they're probably not going to find too much fault. But I definitely think someone needs to get in trouble for this. Um, or something should happen because this definitely was a situation. Uh, if you went and watched back the onboard video, the drivers did get out of uh, the photographers were able to get out of the way. Um, but it was very close in a couple instances. And this wasn't going to be an instance of just someone getting knocked over. Somebody would have died or had massive life-changing injuries if they were to have been hit. And, um, I, I think it's unacceptable. I mean, we're, we're in a world in which drivers get fined and punished for going one mile an hour over the pit lane speed limit or crossing the white line on pit lane exit or $50,000 fine from Max for touching a rear wing. And these guys are like relentless with some of these punishments and things that shouldn't matter. And yet they're allowed to have photographers run into the pit lane in a live active race. Even if everybody had pit, and didn't require to pit. We saw George come in uh, for soft tires to get the fastest lap with one lap to go. Like it, we have an active race going on. Nobody should be anywhere where a car can be. Like it's just not something that should be happening. You either have to have a designated zone for where these photographers can be outside of the racing track, or you have to wait until the race is over. Like it's just, I think it's completely unacceptable. And um, I don't think much is going to come for it. And just like every other FIA issue, we're going to get some sort of statement and resolution until it happens again. So unfortunately, yeah. I think that's the world that we're in. Um, but it could have been terrible. We could have seen somebody turn into red mist today. And I'm glad it didn't. But um, it's definitely possible. Yeah. Seems like amateur hour with these guys. Uh, just all the way through. Like if the sport wasn't so badass, I don't know if I'd watch it. Um I don't. I've never heard about this in NASCAR or stock car racing, where reporters 
flood the fucking track uh during an active race maybe i haven't watched enough nascar to to be able to say say that but this is yes yeah, like amateur hour what what conscionable organization doesn't put up that rule that you cannot get onto the track until all the drivers cars are turned off you know and i understand that they're trying to trying to do this thing where where they're setting up uh for the cel- celebratory you know shots and and interviews but that shit can wait you know like like there's no reason to put people in danger's way because reporters are going to do it if you give them an in their the nature of their job is to go get that first snap like the nature of their job is to give back to their organization and their you know whatever news organization backs them the best shot as fast as possible the best interviews as fast as possible that is the game that they're playing so it makes sense that they're going to go out and flood you know if you give them that chance they're trying to get the first uh uh dig at at those drivers you got to be able to as a fia organization have you know those measures to to keep them from hurting themselves in a certain way you know I mean, there should just be a zone or a walkway or something them like something should be built for for them to bypass that just like even even after the race like even if they do need to get shots at, at a certain angle or whatever like that like it should never be on an active racetrack just period like yeah so i i, I they're they're after all these years of formula one they should have had this figured out by now um and they probably just like every other thing else they probably just got away with it for so long because it was never an issue um they just didn't even think about it and until it became a problem but yeah man it's just it's one of those things that when i watched the video i was like holy there was almost a few deaths today and uh it's just yeah it's just so unacceptable but um yeah it's uh and, and and you know going back to how that would affect a driver if Esteban Ocon would have accidentally have killed someone or even you know irreparably hurt them what what does that do now to to your D1 driver for Alpine you know like how does he go back in the track and and perform to 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 his expected standards also he so, could easily kill himself uh you know, yeah. a human body weighs a couple hundred pounds and camera equipment, other things like is not out of the woods. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just super, yeah, just, just super, it's just super bad. Big blunder by the FAA once again. But yeah, if it's not red flags, it's something. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So let's uh, let's wrap up here, Chris. Uh, let's um, let's look into our next week. We're going to be in Miami. How are you feeling about it? Uh, I just really hope Red Bull's new livery is awesome because I don't know if you saw it, but they uh, they posted a couple of um, runner up. I guess they had a design contest for their livery because mm-hmm. um, they're bringing a new livery to Miami. And a couple of the runner ups were uh, a little interesting, to say the least. So I hope that the the ultimate winner, which I think will be revealed in the next couple of days, uh, is something cool because the last time Red Bull had that all white japanese livery honda livery that was amazing and so i was kind of hoping to see something like that but uh not uh flamingos or, or palm trees <laughs> that look yeah. like uh microsoft icon art 
uh, or, or whatnot. So um, yeah, I'm pretty stoked for the livery and for all the drivers' uh, special edition helmets. I always feel like Miami has like the coolest show out for uh, for design concepts. Yeah, I mean, like Miami's like there's such a great atmosphere, like sunny palm trees, great race. There was a new track last year. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of cool atmosphere. Celebrities are going to be out. And uh, I think it has the potential to be a good race. Like, it's a very different track than Baku. Uh, we're going to see a lot of different, um, like, cars with different benefits to them be able to compete. Maybe we'll see Mercedes back up there um, with the layout. So I'm, I'm hoping that we have a little bit more competitive a race than this weekend. And I think it'll be just, like, good fun, good atmosphere. And I'm excited and I'm excited for it. It's the first race back on uh, U.S. soil. So uh, I think it'll be a good one. And um, unfortunately, I think, you know, I mean, I'm a huge Red Bull fan, but I, I think it'll probably be another dominant one, too. Um, but uh, I think maybe there's some potential for some shakeup. Yep. I I think it'll be Red Bull dominant um, podium uh, just to shake things up. Much like I predicted uh for last race, I'm going to have Alonzo split the two Red Bulls and maybe get in there for P2. Uh, he, he's going to get one of these. He's going to get a P2 one of these races. I, I can feel it. Um, this man was giving breaking lessons to, to Lance Stroll during the race. So if that doesn't tell you his bandwidth for taking on different bits of information during a race. I don't know what does. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think it'll be a Max, uh, Fernando, Checo podium. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think Red, Red Bull, I think they're going to be one too. And Aston does have the better car, but I'm just hoping that Lewis can get on the podium again. And that way you can give a little wink over to Max and be like, I'm coming for you. <laughs> you and me I'm, both. I'm still here, buddy. Don't forget. So, uh <laughs> Because like, wouldn't that be great if uh, Lewis's car can get back up to speed, and then all of a sudden he's competing with Max, and they take each other out, and all of a sudden Checo's in the lead for the WDC. Uh, I, I mean, it's it, it's F one, so it could possibly happen. As much as I love Max's Red Bull, uh, I would love to see Max's face if Checo wins the championship. Yeah, I would too. I think I think the entire <laughs> world is ready for a Checo shakeup here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so looking forward to it, Chris, I think we have um, a couple of back-to-back -back weeks uh, of racing. So that'll be fun. Uh, very different from the the void in racing the past couple of weeks. Uh, so we're looking forward to it. I think Miami is going to shape up to be a great race. Um, it's the second race uh, on the track. I think they got a lot of kinks uh, that they needed to get out last year. Um, so, so yeah, looking forward to this uh, upcoming race and and let's 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 hear your predictions before uh before we get out of here yeah um uh, yeah definitely like i said i think red bull gonna dominate i'm excited for miami um yeah i'm i'm excited to actually get to to watch a race not at 4 a.m <laughs> so you and me both you yeah and me both. all right well yeah uh, been been great right. been great with talking to you about this about baku it's in the bag let's look forward into and uh I will see you in Miami. All right, folks. See you guys in Miami. Not yeah. physically, but we'll talk about it. <laughs> Soon to be. Bye, everyone. See ya.